0: we're going to talk about grief and I'm going to share from my own personal experiences of just some of my shattered dreams and losses part of my personality is not to waste time Um, that's just the the way God made me and when I found myself widowed I did not I sat there and I said Lord I know I'm not exempt as a Christian from going through loss Really, there are a lot of people in the Bible that went through loss when you look at it. You look at the life of Job, the life of David. Um, Mary watched her own son being crucified. And I knew I wasn't exempt. So my constant prayer was, Lord, I don't want to waste this pain. I don't want to waste it. So work things in me and work things out of me work things in me, and work things out of me. And so I give that to you tonight um, because you don't want to waste the pain. You have some precious opportunities in the midst of heartbreak to get to know the heart of God. And life just isn't always fair. Bad things happen to good people. And it happened in the Bible. We live in a fallen world. One day, when we get to go see Jesus when we're with the Lord, when he comes again, then we'll have that, that perfect world in heaven. But until now, we're going to have to contend. And I just want to say that there is no right or wrong way to grieve. Um, just keep moving through it. Just keep moving through it. And that was another prayer that I had, was, Lord, keep me moving. Show me what to let go of today show me what to let go of this month because you can't let go of everything just like that and many people deny their pain medicate their pain stay so busy they don't embrace their pain and it's in that embracing that what i have found is god heals broken hearts and so your goal tonight is for you to walk away with tools from your tool belt in your tool belt, that you can use. And we're going to learn what grief is, how it affects us, the challenges of grief, the benefits of grief, and how to partner with God in the process. And another goal is to unravel any lies that you have believed about the process. And to give you some tools to help you thrive through your own season of grief you know the word thrive means to grow and develop vigorously and I would like for you to write that down thrive means to grow and develop vigorously and I'm going to share just some nuggets that I found that helped me to grow in the midst of deep heartache and that's my prayer tonight for each of you (coughs) is that you will learn how to thrive in your own season of grief. In fact, I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, I just thank you for these people that you've brought. I thank you that you love them, that, Lord, you're near to the brokenhearted, and I ask that you work things in them and work things out of them, that they not waste the pain, and that, Father, that they discover that you're holding their hand as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death and disappointments and loss. And I thank you, Lord, for your promises that you bind up the brokenhearted. And I ask for each and every listener that they learn to grow vigorously in the midst of their pain. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had been married 30 years to um, my high school sweetheart. Joe was in college and I was in high school when we started dating. And we got married three years later and life was good. And we had three children, very active in our church and uh, did ministry in a number of ways. And then in 2009, he was diagnosed with a very rare cancer called Merkel cell carcinoma. And um, we quickly found ourselves at MD Anderson and it's a cancer that two in a million get. So we knew the odds were not good, but we had the Lord, we had each other, we had a lot to fight with. We were young, we felt like, and um, so he's doing a 10-hour tre- chemo treatment. That's what they started him on. And one day, I, I had been there about eight hours with him, and I said, you know, honey, I need to go out and just breathe for a little bit and get some fresh air and get some iced tea. And he said, take your time, go on, I'm fine. And so I was walking around the block at MD Anderson, and I just was talking to the Lord, um, And I just said, Lord, I see Joe in a win-win situation. I mean, either you heal him, and we have this fabulous testimony that we get to share with others of your healing, or you take him home. And either way, he wins. But I don't see myself in a win-win situation. If you heal him, that's great. You know, we're all in. We're going to share of how you healed him. But if you don't, I know my heart will be broken and I know you're good and I know you love me but I don't see myself in a win-win situation and it was in that moment that I just heard the Lord say Kathleen I'll either heal Joe or I'll heal your broken heart and I took a deep breath and I thought okay and that's all I needed at that time but I also thought you know this may not go the way I think it's going to go, because we were fighting in all faith and prayer for him and his healing. And I don't know much, but here's what I do know. Is God does heal broken hearts and shattered dreams. And I discovered that in the depths of a lot of loss. It says in Psalm 34 that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And save such that have a contrite spirit. That's underlined, circled, highlighted in my Bible because I was like, Lord, I want to see this. I want to see this. Many things are dated in my Bible because I thought, your word says it. I believe your word, but I'm dating it because I want to come back later on and see if this really happened. I mean, that's, that, that's just the way I approached it. And you may be sitting there and you may feel like your God has abandoned you or forgotten you or didn't do something that you had asked him to do. But the big question is what are you going to become without your loved one or when your dream is shattered? And you get to choose. When tragedy strikes, we can feel powerless. We can feel like a victim. And yet, when we take responsibility for our choices, we take our power back. Joe got cancer. I didn't kill him. Now, I might have thought about it a time or two (laughs) in 30 years in marriage, but he got cancer, and he was gone. I didn't cause the cancer. And at first, I did feel like a victim. But God showed me. He said, Kathleen, you've got a God-given right to overcome in this tragedy. And I was like, I do? It's like, yeah. And so I began studying the word overcome. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. And I have a podcast um, called Living an Overcoming Life or something like that. Um, but I had choices in how I was going to navigate the uncharted waters I was thrown into. And you have choices, too, in how you're going to respond to to the loss and disappointment that you've had. So, what is grief? And you may wanna take notes, this is a section there. So grief is the process of letting go, saying goodbye to a person or season in our lives. and moving on to what God has for us. Grief is the process of letting go, saying goodbye to a person or season in our lives, and moving on to what God has for us. I had heard Psalm 93 a number, um, Psalm 23 a number of times in church, and I'd heard it at funerals, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And somehow I always focused on the I will feel no evil. And never really thought that much about the passage until I read it one day, not long after I had lost, lost, um, lost Joe. And when I read that word through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I got excited because I thought, oh, my word, grief is not my destination. It's not where I'm going to stay. I am in a valley right now, but God is walking with me through this valley. And that word is circled a lot in my Bible because God promises. He doesn't say there won't be valleys. He doesn't say there won't be loss, but he says he will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So the important thing became for me is, okay, Lord, what do I need to let go of now? What do I need to let go of? Because when we don't deal with our grief, when we stay too busy, when we medicate it, when we run from it, when we deny it, when we shove it under the carpet... What happens is it can lead to unhealthy behaviors, emotional outbursts, and we can get stuck with anxiety and depression. I remember one of my first encounters with grief. I was a young mother, and um, I had taken both of my children one was in kindergarten and one was um, preschool and I had dropped them off. And for the first time in a long time, I had. A morning all by myself and I went home and I was doing some housework and I, all of a sudden I kept finding myself going to the kitchen and I kept eating and I finally stopped and I thought what am I doing I'm not even hungry Lord what's going on and I just I had lost my grandfather several months before and I just felt the Lord say you're feeding your pain you miss Gandhi I burst into tears because I really had not taken time to process the loss of my grandfather and so I sat down that day and began to write in my journal just a letter to him saying goodbye because I was a busy mom of several kids and a lot was going on and I was working running a business but I sat down for the first time because it was all I needed to do. I'd been journaling for years and began to process some of my pain. And I wanted grief to have a good work in me. So what are some different types of grief? And this is a picture right here. This is my mom in the middle and my daughter. Um, This is, I guess, 13 years ago. So it's Quite a, look at that hairstyle back then. <laughs> it's quite a bit old. But um, my mom taught me about grief. My mom was a little fireball. She led more kids to Kerr County. She was a youth pastor and children's church pastor and read more kids to the Lord in Kerr County than anybody I know. And when she was 64, she was struck with a rare autoimmune disease. And very quickly, her body changed. The disease was in her brain and it affected everything about her. And she began to slowly slip away. And it wasn't long, like a matter of maybe months, a month or two, that I found myself as the parent and her as the child. And that was a very hard grief for me. I didn't like that. I wanted my mom to be my mom. I had just stepped in as the director of the Christian Women's <laughs> Job Corps of Kerr County, And um, I needed my mom to pray for me. I needed her to be a volunteer. I needed her to be her, and she wasn't. And slowly, I watched her slip away. And that's when I began to learn about anticipatory grief. And so I want to tell you about anticipatory grief, because you may find yourself in that at some point in your life. You see, mom was not gone. But mom, as I knew her, was gone. And slowly she was slipping away. And one day I had a volunteer come into my office. She was a licensed counselor and she said, how are you doing, Kathleen? How's your mom? I quickly told her. And I said, I don't think my heart can take it. I said, this is excruciating watching her slowly decline. And I don't, I don't know that my heart can handle this. And um, she looked at me and she said, Kathleen, you're grieving in installments. So if you find yourself watching someone or situation slowly changed, are you sense something is coming on, it's called anticipatory grief. And right now what I see working in Uvalde with people with the anniversary of May 24th coming, there's a lot of grief that's surfacing because people are anticipating and they're scared, so scared, so much anxiety and fear because they know the memory is gonna be coming. But something I found is in my own loss, and you may deal with some anticipatory grief as you approach the birthday of your loved one, as you approach some day in your life that was life-changing or their anniversary or a holiday many times what happens is we may cognitively not even be thinking about it but our heart is emotionally sensing that something's coming and when we find ourselves dealing with anticipatory grief it's a place where we can say lord this hurts will you heal my heart and that became one of my favorite prayers And I can tell you, my mom actually battled for nine years. And watching someone I love suffer, the hardest thing I've ever done. And I had to watch that too with my late husband, watch him go from being a 215 pound, you know, um, muscular man to, I don't know, 120 when he left this earth. But as you approach a holiday without your loved one as you approach something that's life-changing it might be a few weeks before it might even be a month before and you may not even cognitively think about it but your heart is there and in that place i just want to encourage you to just when you realize it say ouch you know lord this still hurts will you heal my heart you don't have to have long complicated prayers God knows where you're at, and prayer is only conversation with a God that dearly loves us. We all understand that grief comes with, when someone dies, a spouse, a parent, a child, a grandparent, a friend, and sometimes it's anticipated, and sometimes it is not. Both are very difficult in their own way. Another kind of grief, is a change or a move to another place. I found myself, um, my late husband and I had raised our kids, grown up in Kerrville, and he was offered a job in another community. And so we really felt like it was what we needed to do for our family and we moved there, but I so missed Kerrville and I really grieved. I didn't have my church family, I didn't have my friends, I didn't see people in Walmart that I knew. There were all these things. So that can be as you let go or move, have a move. Maybe you've moved to Lakey and you're like, well, I'm excited to be here. I chose to come here. But then there's still a sorrow. And some of that can be grief when you leave a place that you love. Um, when your kids leave home. You know, it's the end of mothering as I knew it. And for me, I, there were a lot of tears I shed. their senior year. It was the last volleyball game, the last game I got to see my daughter cheer. It was all those last. And it was the ending of a season that I really did enjoy. It didn't mean that another good one wasn't coming, but I had to let go because letting go is healthy. They were moving into a new phase in their life. Um, You know, even with what has happened in Uvalde in May 24th, you know, Uvalde was kind of like a good old boy town. And what my husband tells me is he said, you know, my handshake was as good as my words. And, And that was kind of, it is a good old boy community. But with what happened on May 24th, it's like there's a tarnish on that good old boy community. And Uvalde, the reality is it will never be the same but it doesn't mean it can't be better in some fashion and that is my prayer is that god works some good in the midst of this tragedy and that the people there will embrace the grief and not run from it at all the death of a dream that's another kind of grief maybe you've dreamed of a season in your life maybe you've had a dream that you hang on to my late husband and i had children young Um, I think I was 21 when my firstborn was born and he came and it kind of interrupted our five-year plan Um, but we were excited to have him and uh, we often talked about we're gonna be young we're gonna be we're gonna have a little bit more money these we're gonna travel we're gonna do all of these things and so when he was diagnosed with cancer when our youngest went off to college and we just stepped into the empty nest it was a big death of a dream because we were in a battle for his life. And that was something after he was gone I really had to grieve was I'm really not going to get to do all those things that I had planned to do. But my daughter said something very interesting. She said, Mom, all growing up, she said, I heard you and Dad talk about the death, you know, or the, your dreams, and she said, I think it's neat that you're getting to travel and do and, and all. She said, you're still getting to do that. Your dream just looks different. And it does. So, you know, I had a friend talk about the death of a dream um, not too long ago. She was talking about she went through infertility. And that's a loss too. That's a death of a dream. She had dreamed of having children all of her life. And that didn't happen. And she said to me, she said, you know, Kathleen, she said, I'm having a little bit of grief now. She said, because all my friends are posting pictures of their grandkids, and I don't have any. And so that was the death of a dream that she had. And I had never thought about that. Losing a pet, you know, sometimes our pets can be very close companions, and that may sound Little, but when your pet is very close to you and a part of your life, that can be a grief. I recently lost my cat, and I had had Charlie for 16 years. My late husband gave him to me, and this last November, um, he got sick real quick and, and was gone. And so, you know, there, I had to, this is, it was a grief. My heart was sad. I had to really take some time to process that. Divorce can be a death of a dream, and it can be another kind of grief. You got married, you thought this was going to last forever, you gave your heart, your life, a lot, and then it didn't turn out the way you had anticipated. That's another kind of loss. But nevertheless, a grief. I had one person say to me when we were talking about this, Um, And it was a man, he said, you know, he said, after my divorce, he said, I just felt like a failure. I felt like such a failure, I couldn't make it work. And uh, it was a loss. Um, Another kind of grief, when things don't go, um, I have two grandsons, and they're both special needs. And when uh, my youngest youngest one is our little baby that was our little boy that is now five and um, i wear my tennis shoes when i keep him because that's the only way i can keep up but he has down syndrome and um, i saw my kids as well as it was we did not know until after he got here and for my kids my son you know he had dreamed his son would do the things that he had done and you know, go to the Naval Academy and do this and that. And that's just not going to be Grant's life. Do we, we absolutely adore him. He's a joy of our life. Um, he thinks my husband is either Santa or Jesus. I'm not sure which one, but that's what he thinks he is. Um, so there was that death of a dream. And when you have it, something happened and your life is altered. It can be a grief. I saw my mom grieve just because she couldn't wear the high heels that she wore. She had to wear these different shoes because of her, of her disability. And then my other grandson has type one diabetes and he was diagnosed at age two. And I remember being there to help my daughter and she had a two month old and all of a sudden life was upside down. She said, mom, will you go pick up the, his supplies at the pharmacy? I said, yes, came home, set him down on the table. And she just sobbed because she said, my life is forever changed. She already had some understanding because she had lost her dad, but it was that real realization of what her life was going to be like in order to keep him alive and to keep him moving. And he's almost 10 now, plays baseball, does all these fun things, but his life looks different than other kids. Um, Something I watched a number of women struggle with when I was a director of the Christian Women's Job Corps that was grief-related, where many of the women I worked with had been abused. They had been sexually abused, they had been raped, they had had some kind of loss. And you know, when your virginity is taken from you, that's a loss. And many of the women had had to just power through and had never really embraced that pain until years later and I had woman after woman come in and say I've never told anybody this but and share their story and what I saw was a parallel of how their heart was broken just like mine had been broken in losing my husband a different kind of loss but nevertheless it was their loss so what are the stages of grief What are the different stages? There are many different books on the topic. I'm really about simple. Let's keep it simple. So I'm going to just talk about three. The first stage of grief um, is one of denial, shock. Maybe we know something's going to happen. Maybe it totally sideswipes us. And we just don't have the capacity to deal with it at the time. And oftentimes I feel like it's God's provision for us because we're just not ready to deal with it. There's a great grace, and I noticed that after losing my husband. There was a great grace for several months. And then more of the reality about month three, month four began to set in. I talked to a widow that I know... um, not too long ago and she had lost her husband Um, and i called her and i said yeah i just want to check on you i'd love to bring over a book and um how are you doing i don't want to talk about it i just don't want to talk about it i i just i don't want to talk about it and she's that kind of very direct person and i said you know what that is that's so okay i just want you to know i care and that i love you and i'm going to be praying for you and i said i understand She was not ready to embrace that pain or even have a book because she was still in denial. And that was okay, but there's a point where it's healthy to move forward. Then there's the anger and frustration stage. The blaming, the questioning. We're mad at the world. We're mad at the person for leaving us, or we're mad that the situation happened. We're mad that we have to deal with things, and we're often mad at ourselves. I remember my late husband was a um, investment banker with USAA, and he handled all of that in our household. And when he was gone, all of a sudden, I was having to deal with the finances, pay the bills, deal with, okay, what am I gonna do, you know, what am I gonna do with some of his life insurance money? I was thrust into something I didn't know that much about. Now I was capable, I'd run my own business, done my own books there, but this was a whole different ball game. And one night I had a two hour conversation with somebody at USAA and I got off the phone and I was mad. I was angry. I didn't want to deal with it. I was mad at him, and I was mad at God. And I picked up my dinner plate because it was there, and I threw it across the room. That's how mad I was. I call it spit-hopping mad. (laughs) I was that mad. And all of a sudden, it was like it just woke me up when that dish broke across the room because I'd never done anything like that. But I was that mad. And I immediately started sobbing. And I was like, Lord, what's wrong with me? And I had to just, as I looked inward and said, what's wrong with me? Okay, Lord, show me. I was mad that Joe died. And I was mad that God didn't heal him. And I was mad that he left me with all these things to do. But the beauty of that is I had a choice with how was I gonna deal with that anger? And for me, and I know this might sound funny to you, but what I, I, as I sat down and just sobbed for a while, and that was good, and voiced my anger. You know, God was big enough to hand, handle that. He loves it when we're honest with him. He loves it. And so when I began to process and say that, for me, I realized I really needed to forgive Joe for dying. And that may sound funny because he was struck with something that made him sick and he was gone. But for me, I knew that was a step I needed to take and I needed to forgive God. And we all know God is perfect. <laughs> um, but for me, I needed to just forgive him because he didn't heal my husband and I was left to deal with it. But there was something in that honesty and that reality of admitting where my heart was versus running from it or denying it that brought a freedom to me. The anger stage is part of grief. It really is. And it's not fun. But let me encourage you, if that's where you find yourself, to embrace that and take it to the Lord because you can take it and say, Lord, I am angry, I'm mad, but I want you to reflect on what it is and what it is you're feeling because then we can deal with it and we're gonna talk about how to do that. And then there's the acceptance and moving on. We come to grips with the reality of our loss and sometimes that that loss is forever. But we cherish and treasure the memories and we create new ones. You know, when I started to, when I resurfaced and started to date and met my husband now, one of the things my daughter said is she said, Mom, he's not anything like Dad. And I looked at her and I said, your dad is gone. I would drive myself crazy trying to find him again. Difference, not wrong, it's just different. And I can tell you now, haven't been married 10 years, I've enjoyed the differentness in my life. I do things that I, my late husband took our boys hunting and fishing and did all that. And my husband now, those are passions of his and I've learned to catch a big fish and there have been a few times I've caught a bigger one than he has. (laughs) Uh, And I've learned to do things that I'd never done before and that is a part of grief, you've got to step out and try new and different things. So what are some feelings and behaviors of someone someone grieving? I don't know what is doing that. Um, this is a picture of our family and this was our last family vacation. And um, so I wanna talk about just some of the feelings and behaviors of a grieving person. And everyone knows this, there's sadness, there's sorrow, There's anger, there's guilt, confusion, being forgetful. Like I said, I was widowed at 49. I never had to carry around, back then you carried a day timer, now we put things on our phone. I didn't even need a day timer because I could keep it all in my head until I lost my husband. And I remember one day thinking, what is wrong with me? I can't remember simple things. Why can't I keep this straight? I've done it all my life. And that's when I had to pick up a day timer and a yellow spiral notebook because there's so many thoughts. And many times we can be going through the motions. I can be talking to Betty Jo right here and going through the motions, but my heart and mind are totally somewhere else. So being forgetful is something that is a... A behavior of someone that's grieving and things that we can normally handle we just can't also thirst do you know that being thirsty all the time is a behavior of someone grieving if you read the Psalms David talks about his bones feeling dry he's talking about crying and his tears coating the bed And there are several references to just being thirsty and feeling like you're in a dry and thirsty land. Not sleeping well is another sign of grief and no appetite. But let these things be a flag to just wave and say, okay, you need to process. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get down on yourself. Let them be just a sign that there's something in your heart that needs to be processed. And let them be a good thing and embrace the grief. Um, Grief, another behavior and and a feeling of grief is it can be like a wave. And some of you that have been through grief might recognize this. I could be fine one minute. I could be having a good day. You know, months into things. And then all of a sudden, I could be walking in the grocery store and see his favorite whatever and just start to cry. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of the grocery store and tears are streaming down my face. You know, or there can be something, a song comes on. I remember one time being somewhere and it was our song. And all of a sudden, it was on the radio. And of course, we've been married 30 years, so I didn't hear it often. But I mean, here the tears began to roll. And I got to where I became comfortable with that. I had to realize that I had a great loss, and it was OK to cry. Did I like it? No, I did not. But the more I embraced it, the easier it got. And your tears can be healing. I do recommend waterproof mascara. Um, It can, grief can feel like a wave. And, you know, if you've been to the ocean or you've been to the beach, you can be looking at the coast and the land is clear and everything looks great and you're looking at the beautiful scenery and all of a sudden this this wave hits you from behind and you go under the water and you're gasping, you know, uh, you're gasping for breath. You're trying to get your breath again and it's a wave of grief. And in those times, again, Jesus, my heart still hurts. Please heal it. And many times we can feel like we're not making progress when that wave hits. We can feel like we're going backwards. We can feel like we're never going to get out of the pain and the agony that our heart is in. But don't let it discourage you. Yes, you might take a step back. You might take three steps back. But I encourage you to keep praying and write this down Lord keep me moving through the pain So what are the challenges of grief I'm going to tell you just some of the challenges that I wrote down and maybe this will encourage you but what are the challenging challenges that we may in- experience well, number one is it's exhausting. Grief is exhausting. It wears you out. To cry, it wears me out. It just wears me out and I don't like being worn out. I'm, you know, like I said, I like to get things done. I know what I can accomplish. Um, I'm an upbeat person by, for the you know, most part. But grief, would, when I hit waves of grief, it exhausts me. Be patient with yourself. Write that down. Be patient with myself. Another challenge of grief is people who have not been through grief will not understand you. And they can judge you. And that's hard. None of us like to be judged All of us like to be understood. They can make wrong assumptions of how you should feel or how you should be doing. And I'm going to tell you just something I learned in that season that helped me not dwell on that and dwell on the negative. And it was a simple prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because I could get mad. I could get my feelings hurt, I could get depressed and down. But when I said, Lord, I just choose to forgive him, I would have, I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, well, Kathleen, you're young, you, you know, you, you, you can find another husband, you'll find another husband. And I was like, I didn't want another one. I wanted the one I lost. My heart wasn't there. Or I lost a baby, I miscarried a baby. And people would say, well, you can have another child. I wanted the one I lost. My heart had already knit with that baby. I was already planning ahead. And so sometimes people, because they don't know what to say, they may not even know they're saying, they're usually not saying, trying to say anything hurtful. But it can sting. You're going to be, you can be judged and misunderstood, but just like Jesus did, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because many times people just don't know what to stay. And so it's our opportunity to extend grace to them. Extend grace to them and forgive. You know, grief is, another challenge of grief is its emotional pain. And just like physical pain or physical Things, I know I've had several surgeries in my life, and that surgery might only take a couple of hours, but the healing and the rehab after can take six weeks, six months. I had finger surgery not too long ago, and they thought it was gonna be just a minor thing, and they got in there, and my tendon was frayed, and I was about to lose, you know, be able to bend my finger, and I had to wear a cast on my finger for four months. Now, I thought I was just going in for a quick thing. And what was even worse, my book had just come out and I had my first book signing with a cast on my finger. I'm like, are you kidding me? But that's the way grief is emotional pain. And so understand that you may, (coughs) it's like surgery, it can take a while for the pain to heal. And I'll be honest with you, after losing my husband, it was two years before I really felt like myself again, physically, mentally, and emotionally. It was that long, but I had a great loss. You don't get over someone that you've known for 30 years and 30 days. You just don't. The greater the love, the longer the grief process can take. And when it hits, when grief hits, it can trigger anxiety. I had a dear friend, and that is, you know, all of a sudden you're anxious, and you don't even know what you're anxious about, but it can trigger anxiety. It can trigger anxiety. I do have a podcast called called Freedom from Fear and Anxiety that I would suggest, but I remember getting a phone call from a friend of mine, and I had experienced this in my own loss after my husband was gone because there were so many things I was having to do on my own, and I even, one time, I had gone to California. It was my first trip to travel without him, and um, I found myself in a hotel. You know, I was in a hotel room going to a Christian conference that I had, I was excited about, and all of a sudden, I became so anxious. My heart started pounding. I thought maybe I need to. Maybe I'm having a heart attack. Maybe I need to go to the ER. Maybe. And I remembered just some women that I had dealt with at the Christian Women's Job Corps that had come in with panic attacks at different times. And so I thought, I think this is what it is. I burst into tears. All I need to do, because I was all alone in another state. I I said, God, I don't know what to do. And I turned on some praise and worship music and just sobbed for about 30 minutes. And then I caught my breath, and I was okay. So grief can trigger anxiety, and we're seeing a lot of that right now in Uvalde. We're seeing a a lot of anxiety because we're approaching, and that anticipatory grief is great right now. Um, But my friend called one day and she said, and she's one of these straight shooters, she's like, Kathleen, do you have a minute? I said, yeah, I do. She said, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know me, right? Yeah, I know you. You know I'm not an anxious person. Yeah, I know that. We've been friends for 30 years, however many. She said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but all of a sudden I am so anxious. And so I listened to her describe, and it hit me. She had lost her mom several months before, and so I was able to reassure her, and I said, all this is, is this is grief, because when you've lost someone, you're very keenly aware that you're not in charge and can control anything, and that can trigger anxiety in our hearts, but that's when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm anxious, and will you carry this for me? I need you to do that because your word says 365 times, do not fear. So, Lord, I give this to you to carry. But realize that if you have those times of anxiety, call somebody that can pray with you. You can stay stuck. This is another challenge of grief. You can stay stuck if you focus on the why instead of the what. Do not focus on why because the why question can keep you stuck and can give you a victim mentality. I wrestled so much with why when my mom got sick, why my mom, why now, why me? She loved the Lord passionately, why would God allow this to happen to such a lovely woman? And I was talking to one of my parents' friends, he was a pastor, And I was talking to him and just saying all those things. And he said, Kathleen, the big question is, can you trust God if you never get the answer to that question? And very Kathleen style, I said, I don't know. I'll have to get back with you on that. (laughs) Because I needed to spend some time. I didn't want to give a flippant Christianese answer. I was being gut-level honest. And I had to spend a couple of days thinking about that. And I called him back a couple of days later and said, you know, I can trust God if I never get the answer. And I can tell you to this day, I've never asked the Lord why he took my husband. A young, he was 52 when he passed away because I wrestled so much and I saw how it kept me stuck with my mom and I didn't want to do that. When we do the why question, it's very easy to, Point fingers and do the blaming game. And understanding is not going to take away the pain. We think it will if we have an answer to the why question. But it's not going to take away your pain. Only Jesus can heal broken hearts. Another challenge of grief is an inability to concentrate. Emotionally, we're somewhere else. It is hard to concentrate. So if you see your ability to concentrate, not what it was before, you're not losing your mind. It's part of that process. And grief, this is another challenge, it can make you feel all alone. But God understands your grief. And it says in Isaiah 61, One of my favorite passages, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. There are many scriptures that talk about how God heals the brokenhearted. Psalm 6, 6, and 7 says, I am worn out for my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping. I drench my couch with tears. That's how David described his grief. But Jesus loves us so much, he sent the Holy Spirit to be the comforter. In my book, there are many different promises about grief. So, what are some ways to say goodbye? Um, Let me just say, the greater in the depth of relationship, the longer the process can take. Like I said, you don't get over a 30-year relationship overnight. And when the love is deep, the goodbyes are multiple. They're multiple. And take time to heal. But as we say goodbye, we bring peace to our hearts, and that's the goal as we begin to process and heal. But we must say goodbye to the person or season in order to move on. Again, it doesn't mean we say goodbye to the memories, and that can look different ways. There was a season when I grieved the death of the dreams. There was a season when I grieved... Joe is my best friend. There was the season when I grieved that I'd lost my lover. There was the season when I grieved just someone driving me someplace. I didn't realize, totally capable woman, but I was used to being escorted around, you know? It was nice and something I had really taken for granted. So, those were all different goodbyes and things I had to process. And the processing, the pain does not sound fun, but it is how we grow. It is how we grow. And we have to say goodbye to move on. And your loved one deserves to be honored with your goodbye. Your loved one deserves to be honored. If the love was great, they deserve that. And I got very comfortable when somebody would say something and all of a sudden it would trigger the tears. And usually they were more uncomfortable than I was, but I would say, it's okay. It's okay, I've had a great loss. It's okay. Crying and pouring out your heart to the Lord Is one way of saying goodbye. There was one day I went and sat by the river and just journaled and said goodbye in different ways and told my late husband what I missed. You know, I missed that he was not there for our son's college graduation, I missed, you know, that he wasn't there to open the door for me. I miss that he went there to fix things. And all of a sudden, I had to figure out how to... I miss that he wasn't there to take out the trash. I remember one day, we had a long driveway, and our boys did that. That was their chore. And then when they were gone, their dad did it. And I remember one day saying, I am just really mad, fully capable of taking out the trash. But it was something that had been done for me. And that may sound silly, but it was something that had changed in my life. I kept thinking, I remember walking down my driveway saying, well, maybe the trash fairy will show up at my house and start taking out my trash. It never happened, but anyway. But writing a letter is one way of saying goodbye and journaling, putting your thoughts on paper. They're not for anybody to read, but there's something about when you begin to write, there's something about that that can be healing. It's like you're having a conversation with someone on paper. But there were many things I had to let go of. I remember driving to my son's college graduation and just tears streaming down my face because it was a moment. We, my goodness, took a lot of energy to raise that child. And this was a big celebration. He was getting off of our bank account, <laughs> you know? But his dad wasn't there for this special moment in his life. And his dad wasn't there for his wedding. And my husband wasn't there. That was another thing I grieved. He wasn't there to walk our daughter down the aisle. So do you see how it can be multiple things? It's not just, okay, I'm gonna write a letter one day at the river and it's all gonna be over. They're different things to process. But there is something about, and I want you to write this down. There was something about when we verbally say, I choose to let go. So God, give me your dreams. When we admit our emotions and make that choice. And that was the day, you know, when I was driving to Price's college graduation. I just had to say those words out loud. God, I choose as an act of my will to let go of the dream I had of us sitting and chatting about this child race, he's on his own, he got his degree, he's my petroleum engineer, but it was, it was do you see how I had to let go and there's something about using those words, I choose to let go because your will can act in spite of your emotions. God gave us our will, and it can be a strong thing that can help us when we choose to forgive, when we choose to let go, and say, God, change my heart and heal it. And that's what I did. I chose to let go that day and said, Lord, heal my heart. Heal my heart. I had some tears that day, but it's part of the process. Forgiveness. Forgiveness helps us let go and it's something you do for yourself. Forgiveness helps us let go and is something you do for yourself. When I learned I could choose as my act, an act of my will to forgive and ask God to change my heart, it was liberating for me. And what I mean by that is I was one of these people that for years I would say, well, I'll forgive when I feel like it. Well, guess what? That day seldom came. And one day I heard a sermon that when we choose to forgive and ask God to change our heart, it can be liberating. Or ask God to heal our heart, it can be liberating. And forgiveness is something you do for yourself. And Jesus said we forgive because we want forgiveness of our sins. And that's not in any way to pressure anybody into. You might file that back, but no, it is a part of the process. Maybe you need to forgive your spouse for leaving the marriage or abusing you. Forgiveness keeps our heart soft. It's a place of not denying but asking the Lord to touch and heal this place that still hurts in us. And Jesus understands your suffering. It says in Isaiah 53, 3 and 5, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. Jesus understands where your heart is broken. He understands. And it says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. And there's something about giving your sorrow. And you may have to do that multiple times for multiple things that you're letting go of. But say, you can say those words, Lord, will you carry this sorrow? I don't want it to define me. Will you carry it for me? Another way of letting go is make a list of what you miss about the person. Write that down. Make a list. And what you miss today might be totally different than what you miss next week or next month. But there's something about admitting today I just miss, you know, I missed hearing my husband call me every day on the way home from work. He had an hour commute, um, a lot of our marriage, and I miss that phone call that would come in. And it'd tell me, it asked me how the day was and we would process. I remember writing about that. Um, Admit how you feel. Tell God how you feel and what you miss and ask him to carry that sorrow and give it to him. And tell God your shattered dream and ask him to give you new dreams. Ask him to give you new dreams. I'm going to talk about some important things to know about grief, but I'm going to give you a minute to maybe get a refreshment. And I'm going to give you five minutes because I've still got a lot to share, but I do want to give you a chance to stretch so you don't fall asleep. (laughs) Because I might cry. (laughs) So... What are some important things to know about grief? It's a process and cannot be rushed. It's a process and not be rushed. When you have surgery, you can have the best surgeon around, but still that healing process can't be rushed. There's just that time that it takes for our bodies to heal, but also our emotions and our heart to heal. The next important thing to know about grief is to honor the pain, but don't live in it. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people idolize the grave. They idolize the grave And I have seen people, and I've actually, some people don't want to let go and get over their grief. Their grief has become their friend. And yet, Jesus came, it tells us in John 10.10, he came to give us life and life abundantly. And it's in the heart of God for you to live life and live life abundantly. So don't idolize the grave. Again, and I've said this before, the greater the love or the relationship or the investment in your life, the longer that process can take. My late husband and I had very integrated lives. We did a lot of things together. Uh, My parents lived around the block from me. We had very integrated lives. We had Sunday lunch together. My parents would keep the kids. So when I lost my mom, she had been a part of my everyday life. She coached gymnastics with me. I had a gymnastics school in Kerrville, and she coached with me. So she was not only my mom, but my coworker. And so those were multiple things. Um, so there was loss, <laughs> great loss in that. And the greater the investment, in, in, your, in someone's life, the, the harder or the longer it can take to get over. I have another dear friend, but her parents lived out of state. She saw them once or twice a year. When she lost her mom, of course there was grief. Of course she was sad. But for years her mom had not lived close to her, so she wasn't a part of her everyday life. Does that make sense? So keep that in mind. The, um, another important thing is keep moving through it keep asking God to help you keep moving through it because you really don't want to waste your life and get stuck. There was something in me, I did not want to be a bitter old woman. I knew some bitter old women and I didn't want to be one of those. There was too much and I knew my husband would not want me to quit living. We had some conversations about that And one of the hardest conversations we had, but one that I'm very grateful for, um, we came home from MD Anderson. They told us you can either put him on hospice here, or if you want to go home, this is your window to leave. But you need, if you want to go home, you need to do it now because he's going to get to a place where that's not going to be possible. So we chose to come on home. We wanted to sit on our deck. We wanted to... Um, Enjoy the things we loved. He wanted to be home. But a few days before he died, maybe five or so, he said, um, come out on the back porch. I want to talk to you. And there was something in my heart. I thought, I don't know that I want to go outside and talk to you. I knew him too well. And I sat down on the back porch, and he said, you know, this isn't going the way we want. And I said, yeah, I know that. And he said, when I'm gone, he said, there's a folder in the file cabinet um, in my desk that says USAA, and I have everything you're going to need. Give them a call, and they're going to help you. And he looked at me, and he said, I know you better than anybody else on this earth. I said, yeah, you're right. I'd been a Maxwell much longer than I'd been a Jones. And he said, I know you better than anybody else. And I know you're not made to live alone. So when I'm gone, I want you to find somebody. He loved me that much. Well, I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't, I didn't have a comprehension. I didn't want to embrace. The pain that he was really leaving, but it did help me to move forward. And the beauty of God's redemption was three years later, my husband now and I were in Kerrville, and we were going to write our vows to get married. We actually got married here in Concan, and We went outside, it was a beautiful day, and we sat down on that back porch, and he was writing his vows, and I was writing mine, and all of a sudden, I had this moment. And tears just welled up in my eyes, because this place that had been so painful was actually my new beginning. That's the God of redemption that we serve. God says over in his his work, that he'll redeem things. And there's power in that redemption. And I did a podcast, or I did a Bible study. I lead a Bible study in Uvalde. Um, My focus right now is on Uvalde. I was leading it in Kerrville. But right now, I've shifted all my efforts to Uvalde. But I did recently do a podcast on the power of redemption. And I would encourage you to listen to it, because it it will encourage you where you are. If you don't, another important thing about grief is if it's not dealt with initially, it will resurface later. A lot of the people I'm meeting one-on-one with now, uh, one of the things I have seen, not all, but some, is people that had shoved grief under the carpet for years because of the tragedy and because there are reminders everywhere of grief and sorrow and loss. And there's almost like an atmosphere of that when you drive into town. But it's triggered grief that was not dealt with and has been shoved under the carpet. If not dealt with initially, it will resurface. And I remember with um, my youngest son, uh, when his dad died, he was a, a... Sophomore at University of Texas. He was a petroleum engineer. His mom was in social work. There wasn't a lot of extra money. And so I thought when his dad died, I thought, oh, my gosh, he's stepping into manhood. I'm not his dad. My heart was crushed. I didn't have a lot to give. What on earth? And I, I remember talking to the Lord about it. And one of the things I felt like the Lord said to me is he said, It might take him time but give him that grace. For me, I was sitting at home in a lonely house every night. I had plenty of time to process my grief. He was a young man that was having to grow up quick, and he finished his degree. He did finish it in four years. He sank everything into that. But about five years down the road, after he graduated, man on his own, working. He called me one night, late one night, woke me up. He said, Mom, do you have a minute? I said, yeah. He said, do you think I've grieved, Dad? And I said, I'm not sure that you have price, but it's okay. You know, I'm so proud of what you did. And you're a young man that had to grow up quickly without your dad. And I said, you can start that now. So it was five years down the road but at least he recognized it. And it's been different for all three of my kids and losing their dad. Um, the next important thing is our feelings can lie to us. <coughs> and what I mean by that, and write that one down, your feelings can lie to, us, to you. Okay, I am a glass half full girl. But there were mornings I would wake up and I felt like my life was over. Now, cognitively, I knew I had three kids that needed their mom. I had, you know, grandkids that one day I might have. I had a lot of things going for me. But I felt like my life was over. And morning after morning, I would have to wrestle with those feelings And I would just sometimes, as an act of my will, I'd have to get up, put my feet on the floor, get my coffee, talk to the Lord, and I would walk in on the hard days, and I would look at my assistant, who's a dear friend, and I would say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be here five minutes or five hours, so whatever's most pressing, will you put it on my desk? And usually, when I pressed through those feelings that my life was over, I could get more done. But I had to wrestle with those feelings. Another example of your emotions and how your feelings can lie to you is, as women, there's that time of the month when life is overwhelming. And then the next week, it's no big deal. Well, it's because of the hormones. And all the men, you know, are shaking their head. (laughs) They're wanting to. (laughs) But that's another example. You know, something that is astronomical, One week is not the next. So our feelings can lie to us. And one of my favorite prayers became, Lord, will you reveal truth to me? It's still one of my favorite prayers. God, reveal truth to me. Anywhere I've believed a lie, reveal truth to me. The next thing, the beauty of grief, is that it can work things in us and out of us. And that was my prayer. God, work things in me that I need. And I developed a greater compassion for people in pain than I had ever had before. God wanted to get rid of some of the things that were in my life, too. So ask the Lord to work things in you and out of you. And don't be disillusioned when... A wave hits and you seem to take a step back. Don't be disillusioned. It's just a wave. You're going to keep moving forward. God promises to sustain the widow and the fatherless. He promises that. And he promises to sustain us in our pain and suffering. And that word sustain means to buoy up, to keep you afloat. And that's what he promises when we turn our hearts to him. Another important thing to know about grief is it's a time of transition in life. It's a time of big transition. And anybody that's been through childbirth knows that transition is hard. It's just hard. It will not be like this forever but it is a season and no experience is exactly alike this is a big one you might write this in bold print or explanation pointed you not others are responsible for your healing journey you not others you can't look to other people to heal your heart and they can't They may be a part of the process, but you can't look to other people to heal your broken heart. I could not look to my new husband to heal and take away my pain. That wasn't the answer. I needed to go through my own journey. I needed For me, it took me three years, but I needed to go through my own journey and let my heart heal. I've seen many widows look to their children to heal their pain and get real upset You, not somebody else, are responsible for your healing journey. Another important thing, anniversaries can trigger grief, either consciously or subconsciously. As an anniversary approaches, as a birthday approaches, as a holiday approaches, you may not sleep well. You may be more emotional. Oftentimes, it's the anticipatory grief and is actually harder than the actual day itself. I found for me, anticipating the anniversary of my late husband's death, for several weeks my heart was, maybe even a month, I'd have to go back and look at my journal, my heart was just kind of, what on earth is that day gonna be like? Am I gonna fall apart? Am I gonna lose my mind? Am I going to all all those things? And actually, did I cry that day? Yes but it really wasn't as hard as I had anticipated. So understand that that anticipatory grief, when you partner with God in the process, it can be healing and can be helpful. And the day itself may not be as traumatic as you think. Put off, another important thing I would encourage you in, put off making major decisions when you're in a state of grief. Put those things off. Don't make a hasty decision. And another thing, I had so many people ask me, well, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to sell your house? Are you going to stay in Kerrville? Are you going to move with your kids? And it bothered me to say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. That even kind of ramped up my, you know, the anxiousness I was feeling. But when I said, I don't know yet, when I put that little three letter word on the end of my sentence, number one, it made me feel better. And it let other people know that I'm aware of this, I just don't know yet. But put off making major decisions. You may feel like your life is over and you have nothing to live for, and this is normal, but your sense of purpose will return. Your sense of purpose will return. And it's important to take another important thing is to take your pain to Jesus, tell him what you miss, and ask him to carry your grief and to help you process it well. So, navigating through grief during the holidays. This is our last uh, Christmas picture, um, right before my husband was diagnosed. Grief in the holidays. It can be difficult. The holidays can be difficult because so many memories... Are tied to them. So many memories. That's why it makes you have birthday memories. You have memories of maybe the day that they died and what that day is like. For some people you may not be able to remember anything and then all of a sudden about four, five, six, seven months later all of a sudden all those memories start flooding in. Um, but so many memories are tied to the holidays. And you don't feel like celebrating. Many times our hearts just don't feel like celebrating. Another challenge during the holidays, and when I say holiday, I'm not just talking about Christmas, Easter, um, for the July. Different people have different holidays that have special memories. The birthday, the (coughs) anniversary, whatever it is realize that a holiday can be different because you're exhausted you know and the thought of how am i going to get all this stuff done you're going to have to give yourself grace and just not do quite as much but because we've already talked about grief being exhausting and that's okay difference not wrong it's just different i remember um You know, it just being so difficult that first Christmas season. I love Christmas. My birthday's around Christmas. We had all these traditions that we did. And my first Christmas alone, or my first Christmas just leading up to it, I was with my kids during Christmas. But that first one, um, it seemed like everybody was rejoicing but me. I wanted to. I love Christmas. I love Jesus But I just didn't quite feel like it. It felt like everybody was rejoicing in a way but me. And we can feel so vulnerable. That's another challenge during those holidays. We don't know when the wave will hit. We don't know if we'll start crying. We don't want to ruin somebody else's holiday. But let me just encourage you, if that happens at Christmas, at Easter, at whatever is coming up that's an important holiday, it's okay to just walk outside and have a moment to just cry yourself. And I would encourage you on that holiday, whatever it is, to give some time, give yourself some time by yourself with the Lord that morning to just let him heal your heart, to let him comfort you, and to let him help you. You know, my husband died in October, and... Um, we, Christmas was a big holiday we had all these traditions and one of the things my kids said is mom we don't want to come home for Christmas and I was like what you know as a mom I created my home it was our nest it was our place of celebration and I just said we can't we don't want to do it so I was quickly faced with what on earth are we going to do and how are we going to do it and so for that year we made a new transition and we went to Cabo and we just spent that holiday in a different way, in a totally different setting. We did have our little Christmas Eve that we always did as a family, and we went around and just talked about what we missed, and there were tears, but we had to make a new memory. We did eventually go back to holidays at home, but the first few years we needed to do something different. So let me encourage you to do something new. It can be easier, and you can create new memories with your loved ones. Do something that day to honor your loved one in your celebration, and whether that's alone or with your family, you can honor your loved one and still make them a part of your holiday in a different way. You know, for the baby I lost, there's still a little Christmas ornament that hangs on our tree that reminds me of that little girl that we lost. And that was my way that year of honoring that baby. You may want to just have your family go around and tell a funny memory. You know, let's talk about the fun we had. Share a funny memory. And it was neat to hear, you know, what our family had to say, but give yourself permission to cry. You may need to excuse yourself, go outside, go to the bathroom, um, and let others comfort you. So much of the time we try to be big, we try to be strong, we try to pretend it doesn't hurt, but let others comfort you. And you can use your words. Let me encourage you to use your words and say, I'm okay. I just need a minute to cry. It's okay to do that. I need a minute to grieve. I'm okay. People don't, people many times feel like they need to fix it. They need to fix something. And when we can diffuse that, then we can kind of take the bull by the horn, so to speak, in our life. Allow some private time, I already talked about that. You may want to write a letter to your loved one. Man, I wish you were here today. If you were here, I would have gotten you X, Y, and Z. So writing a letter that day can be one way to honor your loved one and to process some of your, what's on your heart. That's what journaling is, is it's processing what's in your heart. And if you don't have plans, make some. I think that was something, as a widow, that was hard. I remember the first New Year's Eve, we had always gone dancing with some friends. And that year, I didn't have a partner. They didn't know what to do. I wasn't invited. And that was hard. And I remember thinking, well, that's a holiday. What am I going to do New Year's Eve? You know? I mean, it's bad enough that I don't have somebody to kiss. But what am I going to do? But I had to make a new plan. So I called a friend that was single. And I said, hey, how about what, let's do something. So you may have to step out of your comfort zone. But make a plan. Make a plan. Because you'll feel more secure just knowing that you've got a, a plan. And be grateful. That's an, another Thing on that holiday. You can be grateful and remember we've always got something to be thankful for. We always do. And giving thanks and being thankful for what we do have, that can keep our heart in the right place. I remember just trudging through grief and um, I started, in fact it's still in my bathroom in Curville, <laughs> a little notebook. And I just started a simple little gratitude journal. I thought every day I'm gonna try to write down just one thing I'm grateful for. And I remember one day it was a tough day and I came home and I was tired, I was exhausted. You know, I hadn't slept well the night before. The list went on, I was lonely. And all I could write in that journal was, today I'm grateful I have running water. (laughs) It's funny now, but that literally was all I could be grateful for. You know, and there wasn't a water shortage. But that's, you know, I'm just being honest about where my heart was. But you can always find something. And Thanksgiving can be helpful in putting our heart and our mind in the right place. So what are some of the keys to thriving through seasons of grief? Oh, nope, I went the wrong way. Just a second. So what are some of the keys? Again, thriving means to grow or develop well or vigorously. That's what thriving means. And so that was one of my goals. But the keys, and I'm going to go through these quickly. Number one, keep letting go daily or weekly. Ask God, what do I need to let go of today? What do I need to let go of this week? And I remember one day I asked the Lord that, and I was so tired of letting go. I really was. And the Lord said, you don't need to let it go of anything, just be. I was like, okay, I can do that. But that was my constant prayer, was asking him because it says when we pour out our heart before him, he will order our steps. And that's what I wanted, was for him to order my steps. Be patient with yourself. Another key is be patient with yourself. Don't give yourself a whole lot of high expectations. And that can be hard when you're a get-it-done person. Let the tears roll. That's another key. Let the tears roll. Don't hold them in. Just let them roll. The Bible has a lot to say about tears. Look it up in the Bible. It has a lot to say about how they can cleanse our heart, how he stores our tears. There are many things the Bible has to say about that. Let your tears roll. Ask God to reveal truth to you in any place your feelings have lied to you. Keep a notebook. The next thing, keep a notebook of key information. I kept a phone log. I kept, my little yellow binder is still in my, is a yellow spiral notebook, the best 50 cents I ever spent because you're so forgetful during grief. And I needed to write down so many things that I needed to remember. I need to call this person about this. I need to. This is who called me about this. Because two weeks later I might think, now what did that man call about and what was I supposed to do? And where was I supposed to take another death certificate? I needed to write things down. And so keep a notebook of key information. It too, it helped me, even I would even put sticky notes in it because sometimes I'd have to write some on a sticky note but then I'd put it in that one place and it helped me navigate. The next thing is understand that other people will move on in life, but your heart can still be hurting. As a widow, that second year, but I think this is true of other grief situations, that second year was harder in some ways because other people move on. They forget that your heart is hurting. It's not in the forefront of their mind like it is the first few days, weeks, months. And I remember a widow coming into my office, and she she had been widow before, and she said, "Kathleen, how are you doing?" And I said, "I'm doing fine." I said, "I'm almost got it. Made it through the first year." And she said, "That's good, but I'm going to tell you that second year can be harder." And I looked at her, and I wanted to say, "Well, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus," you know. <laughs> That was my thought, and she said it can be harder because other people move on. And I was so grateful, even though I didn't want to hear that, but I was grateful she told me that because it was helpful in that second year after the loss because I was still working through a lot. The next thing that's important to thriving is balance is a big key. Balance in life. You know, I had to balance my life. I felt like I was walking a tightrope because I needed time to let go and process my grief. I had to work. I had no choice. I needed to deal with just what I call life work. I had to take death certificates this place. I had to get his name off of this. I had to deal with just stuff, investments and bills and cleaning the house and going through the closet. There's just a lot of stuff. Um, I needed to also have fun again. So walking that tightrope of not doing any of those things too much was very important. Another key to thriving is a balanced diet, exercise, and rest. Rest is a weapon. Write that down. Your rest is a weapon guard your rest. There were times I would have to ground Kathleen and say, no, you don't need to go out tonight. I know you want to go have dinner with friends, but you need to rest because grief is exhausting. Keep that balance. Eat well because it's going to help you. The next thing that's important to thriving is take one day at a time. Sometimes looking back at all we've lost is too much. And to look at the rest of our life without our loved one is too much. And it's too overwhelming. But when we look at one day at a time, we can get through one day at a time. So don't try to look too far down the road. Don't dwell on all of the what ifs, what should have, what could have, what would. You know, there's that fine balance of processing, but just look at one day at a time. I could handle one day at a time, but that was about all I could handle at that time. Another big key for me in processing grief was asking God to give me his perspective of my life. Ask God for his perspective of your life. And I remember one day asking the Lord, I said, Lord, show me your perspective of my life because it just doesn't look very pretty right now to me. And the Lord said, I have a lot of adventure ahead for you, Kathleen. I was like, really? Okay, and I'll tell you, I have had a lot of adventure. And I hung on to that but I had to be willing to open up to new things and learning new things and stepping out of my comfort zone. But there has been a lot of adventure and a lot of fun. And I've learned to do a lot of different things that I hadn't done before. And I've loved the different, the differentness in that. Another key is hang on to hope in the dark days. The Bible tells us hope is an anchor to our souls. And there were days I'd say, Lord, I need your hope to anchor me because I feel hopeless. I feel overwhelmed. I feel whatever. It's okay to voice that, but give it to the Lord. Don't drown in it. And to tell myself this is only a season. There were times when I would have to really preach to myself, Kathleen, this is a season. It's a season. It's not your forever destination. It's a season. And an important season. But when I began to see things as an adventure with God, it changed my perspective of things. Because a lot of things were daunting. I married at 19. I married young. Dating in my 50s looked very different than it did 33 years ago. And so I remember getting ready to go out on my first date. All of a sudden, my heart began to pound. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What on earth am I doing? And I, I began to get anxious because I thought, oh my word, what are the rules? I don't know how to do this. What if this guy isn't nice? What if he takes advantage of me? What, you know, all those what if things. And when I just stepped back into the spirit of God in me and said, Lord, I'm asking you to go with me. I'm asking you to guard my heart. I'm asking you to guard my body. I'm asking you to protect me. And I'm going to look at this as an adventure with you. So let's go have an adventure together. And it kind of calmed my heart down. But I had to kind of preach to myself. Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves before we can really (laughs) preach to others, and um, you know, it it was it was fun. But to to it was fun to have new adventures, and um, but adventure and seeing things as an adventure with God helped me when my parents were gone, and so I haven't said a whole lot about that. it's interesting how each seminar I do is different. But so my mom was six, six years. My husband got sick, sick. We battled nine months. I had this time when there were just things, you know, but my dad was ill. My mother was ill. My mother was an invalid. I was having to oversee. It was like 10 straight years of just pain and anguish. And then my mom died, and then my dad was gone in less than two months. So the three most important people. When I talk about grief, I'm talking about it because I lived it for a while in having to process many different things on many different layers. But with my parents gone and not living in Kerrville around the corner, I had to make new memories. Things were different when they were gone. But see the newness as an adventure with God and ask Him what He wants you to do during the new time and new season you find yourself in. And another key to thriving through grief is step out and make plans and initiate new connections. One of the things I did, I worked uh, for an agency and there were just some there was a a man and his wife, and they were a lot younger than me, maybe 15 years younger. And one day we finished work, and he's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just going home. He said, well, Trisha and I are gonna go, you know, go to Grape Juice. You wanna come hang out with us? We're gonna meet some friends there. And I thought for a minute, and I thought, it's the first time in my life I haven't had to order my life around my children and my husband. I was like, I think I wanna do that, you know? And so I'm so grateful for that time in that season, and those friends were just very good friends, and it was out of my norm. They weren't my church friends. They weren't my, it was just a whole different group, but there was something fun and adventure in that. So what are some of the benefits of grief? This is my husband. This is Steven, and we got married uh, 10 years ago. What are some of the benefits? He's one of the benefits. But it was birthed from a lot of pain and a lot of letting go. But grief can teach us a lot about ourselves. I've said, and I say it in my book, grief has been one of my best teachers. And I go into a lot more detail in the book. I learned a lot about myself in that season. And I learned who I was as a woman standing on my own two feet. And I learned to laugh at myself. You know, sometimes I would do some of the craziest things and I learned to just laugh at myself. It was like I entertained myself <laughs> at times. And not I didn't take life so seriously. There are things now that I look at that might be a problem or an issue or something that bother me. And uh, uh, one of the things, and I, I said this to, to Martha today, we were talking about something I was like, Yeah, in light of eternity, what does this matter? You know, and it just brings things into perspective. And um, I needed to just not take life so seriously. Another benefit of grief is that it developed a compassion in my heart. It softened me. About two years after Joe was gone, I ran into a woman. And she said, um, we talked for about 15 minutes, and she looked at me. And she said, you're different. I said, I am? She said, yeah, you're softer. And it was a real compliment because she said, I just see a greater compassion in you. And so it warmed my heart. Um, It's a time of new beginning. Grief can be a time of new beginning and a new life. One of the things I did in in my single life, I had some dear friends that went to church with me and they love to swing dance, and they say, Kathleen, come with us. Let's go to San Antonio. We go every Monday night. We take swing dance lessons. I was like, oh, my gosh. I danced with the same man since high school. I, I don't know what I would do. They're like, we're there. You know, we're going to come on. Go with us. It's one of those where you don't have to have a partner. You move around the circle and everything. I very quickly realized because I began to dance you know, after I took some lessons with different people but it was a real learning experience I was like nope don't want a man like that that might be something I'd consider oh no we're not going there nope I'm sorry I don't feel like dancing now you know and so I learned who I was standing on my own two feet without my husband but I had to step out and do some different things and it was real funny when Stephen and I started dating he called one day and I said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to swing dance class in San Antonio. He said, well, who are you going with? And I said, well, with, you know, my friends, Kenton, Maryland. He said, well, can I meet you there? I was like, sure. Well, he got there and didn't know how to swing dance. He knew how to country Western dance. But when these different men came up and started asking me to dance, he quickly learned to swing dance. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a great time dancing. So you can learn new things. You can teach old dogs new tricks. Um, another benefit of grief is it helps us to get to know God better and partner with Him. You have an opportunity to know the heart of God and what He has for you in this season. Another benefit is to grow in confidence, get rid of the fear as you move through the process. It's not in the heart of God for you to be anxious and fearful all the time. And a big part of my testimony is how God set me free of a lot of different fears. I wish I had time to go into it, but for time's sake, I don't, but you can catch it on the podcast. Um, We can get rid of fear. And, you know, as time went on, and I'm going to be a little graphic in this, but Joe had a a tumor that was on his back. And I know that sometimes when things were daunting as I was in my new life without him, I remember fear came upon, me, you know, one time. I was like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna handle this? What am I gonna do? And I took a step back and I said, Kathleen, is this as bad as watching tumors grow on someone you love? No, it's not. I can do this. I can do that. And that might sound brash, But I'm just telling you, whatever has seemed daunting when I look back on the faithfulness of God to bring me through some of the hardest things I've ever walked through, it makes the rest easier. So let that be put in its place. Another benefit of grief is that it's a new time. Learn new things, and it's a time of self-discovery. And as long as you are breathing, you can start all over again. Life is going to look different without your loved one, no doubt. It's going to look different. But as long as you're breathing, you can start over again. And ask God to give you new new dreams for your life. One of the other benefits I discovered is I was stronger than I ever thought I was because Jesus says we have a God-given right to overcome any situation that we face. So you're stronger than you think you are. You may feel weak. You may feel vulnerable. You may be in tears. But when you hold his hand and you walk with him, you'll come through. So... Real quickly, what helps and what does not? So these are great friends and these were people that were great friends of my late husband and mine and are now good friends of Steven and mine. And I made him go out with them before I would go out with them on a date by myself. <laughs> I did and he did it. It was really funny. Um, but I was so guarded and I didn't wanna be hurt. And so when he said, well, can, I, can we go out some evening? I'd met him for lunch. I'd met him, but I had not let him pick me up or anything. I said, yeah, we can, but you have to go out with my friends. He said, okay, I'd love to meet your friends. Okay. So these are our dear friends. So what helps in in grief and what does not? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm here to to get information for, you know, to help somebody that I know that's grieving. Real quickly, people want to talk about what they've lost. So be a good listener. People want to talk about what they've lost. So be a good listener. Sit eye to eye with them and sit with them in their pain. You don't have to have answers. But the gift that people gave me of just sitting and listening was sometimes the greatest gift that they could give. And I was very fortunate to have these friends say, We've never experienced what you're, you're going through right now. We don't know how to do it. We're not widows. We don't have a grid. So will you teach us? Tell us what you want. Tell us what you need. And I'm very grateful. And sometimes I needed to just cry and I needed to just voice the pain in my heart. And they were close enough and kind enough and loved the Lord enough that they could pray with me and listen. Sometimes I'd say, I just need to have fun. I have been dealing with a whole lot of stuff. I wanna have fun again like we used to. And we wouldn't talk about it and we'd have fun. So sometimes we have to voice those things to people that are close to us and say, this is what I really need right now. Because people genuinely do wanna help. Um, But that's very helpful. So look people in the eyes, be willing to sit with them in their pain. Another thing that helps is do not say I know exactly how you feel, because you don't. You don't. I remember an 80-year-old widow and here I was 49 came into my office, honey, I know exactly how you feel. I remember, no, you don't. You have some understanding, but you don't know. And so be careful not to ever say that. I'm careful to say I have some understanding. Because I don't know everything, and I don't know everyone's circumstances. Somebody that lost their husband, suddenly is different than what I went through. I have some understanding of the journey of widow, being a widow, but it's some understanding. And don't say things like, you'll find another husband, you'll have another baby, um, they miss what they had. Another um, thing that is helpful is offer specific things to help. One of the greatest gifts that people gave me were offering specific things. I remember a friend of my husband's from high school called me and said, Hey, I'm chopping wood. Can I bring over wood and stack it on your front porch and stack your wood pile? You would have thought they gave me a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. That was the greatest gift. It was something I didn't have to worry about, something my husband normally took care of, and it was such a blessing. I had someone say, Kathleen, I am, do you have a yard man? We know Joe always did the yard, that was his happy place. I said, no, well, I'm sending over my yard man the next three months, it's our gift to you. That was so helpful. And I got to where I would make a list of things I needed because people say, tell me what you need. And so then I had my little list and I wouldn't have to think, wouldn't have to think off the cuff of that. So those things are very helpful. Honor that anniversary of the one they loved, honored that anniversary, maybe their birthday, maybe their wedding anniversary. I have a friend that's a widow, and and for years I would send her a text or give her a phone call, because I knew it was her anniversary, or the day her husband died. And that was something that um, I could do to honor what she had lost and what she loved. And ask people, again, what they need. Tell me what you need. Different times, different friends that I've had that have lost um, somebody they love, I'll say, just tell me what you need. If you need to laugh, I can tell you stories on myself and keep you entertained. If you need someone to just hold you and let you cry, I'm that girl. I can do that, too. But I need you to tell me. So giving widows, giving people that have lost children, Giving people that have gone through a trauma, that permission is huge. Okay, so um, there are lots of uh, promises for us in our grief. And I'm going to just give you a couple, but these are all of these are in my book. Psalm 68, verse 5, God promises to be a father to the fatherless. A defender of the widows. He sets the lonely in families and leads, he leads for the prisoners out with singing. That was a huge promise for me. Psalm 126, verse 5 those that sow in tears will reap in joy. There were many days I just felt like I was sowing in tears. But I can tell you now, on down the road, that there is joy in my life. Is there still grief? Are there still things that might come up? Are there still things that I miss? And missing my mom, missing my dad. The other day, I was thinking, man, I just miss my dad. I just wish I could tell him this, you know, and, um, or my mom, you know, or my late husband. And it's interesting the things that can trigger grief. You know, when I'm with my grandchildren, those are things that that can trigger the grief because I think he would love this season. I wish he were here to see this. So there are many promises, though, for, for when we have to sow in our tears. I've already gone over Psalm 61, verses 1 through 3. I love 2 Corinthians 1, 4. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we have received ourselves. You know, now, as hard as it is some days, one of the joys is I can sit in front of people that have been through devastating things and heartbreak and shattered dreams and listen and give them hope because it's something I've lived. I didn't go, I'm not a licensed counselor. I didn't go and learn all these things from a textbook, but I've lived them and I know the faithfulness of God and I get to share that hope, that joy that encouragement with others and help them. Second Corinthians twelve nine, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Psalm one forty seven verse three, he heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. I want to close with prayer. And I am available for prayer afterwards if you want, or if you want to set up an appointment, come see me. You've got my card information. The book is available, Thriving Through Seasons of Grief. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I'm going to find a place in Lakey that that will be available to purchase it, but I've got copies back there. And again, um, if you can't afford it, I'm happy to give you one. Um, and, And if not, they're $16. So I'm happy to do whatever. But let's just close in prayer. Father, thank you for each one listening. Thank you for your promise to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, to give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you're our defender, you're our healer, that you promise in your word that you will heal our broken hearts. So we come bringing our shattered dreams, our disappointments to you because you're a God that wants your kids to overcome. And overcome is get the better of a situation. And so in the ashes and the pain and the turmoil, Lord, we bring that to you. And we ask you to bring your healing, your comfort, your strength, your direction. And I pray for each one, Lord, most of all, that they get to know you in a deeper way. Because you love them so, so much. So I speak peace and I speak healing. That you're healing, and the great comforter would come and just wrap his arms around each person. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.